What's up, everyone? Welcome to Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reginald Andre down in Miami, Florida, Ryan O'Hara somewhere in Michigan, and uh, Randy Bryan somewhere in Mexico. <laughs> What's up, guys? How are you today? Good. Yeah. Doing Living great. I just realized fall is like a week away, man. What, nine yep. days? I didn't realize. That means we only have 90-degree weather for three months. I, I we're starting know. to get the nice, nice, cool mornings and evenings and then still got the 80, 85 yeah. in the day. Yeah, and I'm getting my fall We have one of the worst summers ever. I'm glad we're getting back to that stuff, man. My fall allergies are kicking in, so I'm well aware it's fall. Seasons don't change here. It's always just sunny. Yeah. yeah. Sunny, no, sunny. Allergy, no allergies either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, got some ransomware attacks to talk about today. Interesting one. One's a kind of a normal one. The other one's kind of through a, a system. A lot of people probably wouldn't be expecting this, so we're going to touch on that. Stay tuned. Um, and then we're going to talk about some fallouts from some older ransomware attacks, as we like to do on the show, just to give people perspective around, you know, what really happens uh, through the duration of a ransomware attack. Because, I don't know, some people who aren't in the know about this stuff, I think that these events are quick or they're, you know, a couple days or, you know, maybe a week Um and there are months and months and years, like the, the fallout of, of a lot of these different attacks. And, and the fallout is very unique for, you know, a lot of different companies in a lot of different ways. So we want to cover that um, and, and talk about, you know, what's happened after these breaches and these ransomware attacks to certain organizations. And we've covered these ransomware attacks on the show already. So we're just going to kind of bring you an update on where, where life is at for these companies today. Um, and then at the end, stay tuned. We're going to give you some advice on what to do if you click on a phishing link, right? Or how do you know you clicked on a phishing link? We're going to give you some tips. We're going to give you some advice. We're going to wrap about that a little bit. So we're going to go right into uh, our talk for today. U-Haul, famous moving rental company. You can rent box trucks and trailers to, to move your stuff. They disclosed a data breach that exposed probably more than just driver's licenses, but the article we found said driver's licenses. So, Rye, why don't you uh, fill everybody in on what's going on over at U-Haul? Yep, this is one of the uh, exceptions to what we've been seeing recently, where it, it, it's been uh, you know usually at least a month or or, or more before. Uh, companies have been disclosing that something even happened. So this is kind of going back to what we were seeing uh, earlier in the year and last year where uh, it's relatively new. So uh, the uh, they determined the investigation on September 7th, so not too long ago, a little less than a week ago, um, and found that uh, starting on July 12th, uh, when they discovered the breach, the, the company found... Uh, uh, well, actually, these dates are all over the place. Hang on a second here. Uh, we found out on August 1st that attackers accessed some customers' rental contracts between November 5th and April 5th, uh, 2021 to 2022, um, and they are just uh, disclosing this publicly uh, as of September 7th. Um, they're, they're given the old, uh, you know, only such and such was, was accessed. Uh, they specifically said that no credit cards were accessed, uh, but, you know, it, it to me, you know, this is another one of those ones where it seems like it's probably too early for them to determine that fully. And we're going to find out, you know, in a month or two going into another holiday weekend and some, you know, buried story that, oops, yep, there was a, there was some other information that was accessed. Um, they were accessing uh, rental contracts uh, via a search portal um, by compromising two unique passwords. Uh, and they did not disclose how the credentials were compromised. Uh, and then they changed them after the breach was detected. Uh, to block additional malicious activity, um, you know. However, it doesn't doesn't really say how long they had access to those uh, before they discovered them either. So, when so is this why did you mention holiday weekend? I, just because when they uh, so so one, you know, we see attackers that usually do these things going into holiday weekends. Uh, but we've also seen a trend lately of of uh, when companies update their stories with the bad news that they claimed wasn't true beforehand. Um, it's usually in a small story and a small. Uh, like local newspaper on, on a holiday right. weekend where nobody's going to notice it. Right. 
So, yeah, I mean, it, the investigation started July 12th, so it's purely plausible that July, around July yep. 4th or the weekend of, that that's when this happened. Um, and then it took them until August 1st to determine that attackers had accessed some information. That's amazing. So you're basically looking at an entire month before you even know whether or not somebody's actually accessed information, um, you know, that involves personally identifiable information. Um, just goes back to what our what our boy Andre always likes to point out is that you know, no customer data or uh, was a compromise in, in the event. And, you know, he loves to point out that it's it's too soon, too soon to say that. Well, the, uh, the other thing, too, that that, you know, so they, they do admit that driver's license and, and state identifications uh, were accessed. Um, so just because that's not a, a credit card or a social security number, I mean, that's something that could very easily, easily be ugh, easily be used uh, to confirm, you know, your identity. So they could use that information to call in uh, to another service and, and, you know, they provide that as evidence that they are who they say they are and then get access to, you know, somebody's bank account, perhaps. So uh, they the, these guys, the attackers uh, were able to log into some kind of search portal. Um, using two unique passwords. Um, we don't have any information on that. Was that two separate accounts that they were able to breach? And what we also don't have from U-Haul, which would be nice to know, is were these compromised credentials that were on the dark web mm -hmm. that were being used or were these credentials compromised in some other way through what we're going to talk about later, phishing attacks, phishing links, um, fake websites, you know, that people that look like you're logging into a legit site. Um, you know, it, it, it's just amazing to me. Again, I guess my biggest takeaway around this is stuff that I've talked about all, all the time on, on this show. And that's the, the false sense of security that people have around cybersecurity when it's a big company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, I think like a lot of people think like, oh, these companies are make millions of dollars. They got to be, you know, doing cybersecurity, spending enough on cybersecurity. Um, and time and time again, we have examples of where this isn't true. Um, I get to speak to businesses all the time, big and small, and I know what they're doing. And God, if I could write a book, which I might. <laughs> you know, about all the things that I see out there that people just don't give a shit about. Um, they don't give a shit about your data. Mm -hmm. it, it's really where we're at in the world. They, they don't because, you know, my opinion, there's no repercussions if you don't protect this stuff. Yes. I mean, we are, constant, we are constantly having conversations with clients, constantly reminding them that there are laws around what, what, why we're doing this. So we're doing this because you're, you're breaking the law. You're violating client agreements. You're, you're, you know, potentially violating industry regulations. And these are legitimate conversations that we're having all the time because CEOs just don't have their head wrapped around what they need to protect, what they do to need to protect what they need to protect and then understanding that they haven't budgeted for anything like this in a lot of cases ever in their business. And the, and the price tag that they see when it comes to their, to the front of them and, and like, here's how much it's going to cost to get you to just get in compliance with, with what I just said, laws, regulations, what have you, this is the number you need to pay. And, and it's like a deer in headlights after that. Mm -hmm. And they do nothing. They just stand there. And they just, you know, know it's a problem, but they choose to not address it. And this is the norm. This is not the exception. Um, and I don't know if you guys agree with everything I just said there, but that's no, that, that, and not even just you, companies, though. Like, you know, I, I had a situation where I was uh, vetting a, a tool within the, the security realm and they were demoing a feature. And I was like, but how does that work with MFA? And they're like, well, there's no MFA on that account. This was an administrative level account. And this is a, a cybersecurity, supposedly cybersecurity tool. I was like, what do you mean? There's no MFA on that account. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's there's so many moving pieces to a lot of this stuff that 
Um, you know, it, it's just, it's easy to overlook. A lot of people don't understand it, but sometimes even the people who should understand it um, don't see things the way that they should. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the lack of action is going to cause a growth in laws. And we're going to see more and more laws and eventually highly likely they're going to be, they're going to be, there'll be criminal criminal retributions to, to this, because as long as we just keep ignoring it and treating people's data all willy nilly, like it's no big deal. You're right. I mean, they can talk. My whole, my whole takeaway from that is I hear a lot of talk. They can talk all day long about it, but if they're not doing something about it, I, I don't know. I just think this is, this is going to be a, be one of our top deals our, our top issues probably, you know, in the next five years to deal with this. How are we handling yeah. people's data? So, well, it's, it's too easy for people to, to you know, they, they understand the inconvenience involved in, in protecting something. They don't understand the, the, the nuances of, of what it takes to protect it in the first place. So given the opportunity, uh, you know, this is an inconvenience or I need to, to lock this down. You know, they seem to worry more about the inconvenience side. And that's where you get the inaction. You know, it's not going to happen to me, you know, so we're just going to keep doing it the way we've always done it. And that's that's what's causing these problems. So for me, I, I would say if you're a business owner, you're listening to this and, you know, you do have to collect for what type of business you have. Maybe you have some type of front desk or you need to get someone's license and take a picture. Think about how are you once you save that into your computer, once it's electronic, what are you now doing? How long do you need to keep it for? Is there a way your developer can mass and just only keep the last four digits of the of the driver license? Because maybe you don't really need the whole driver license. You just need a picture and the name or something to identify the person. And also um, in the bottom of this article talked about they're going to get a one, they're offering a one year credit monitoring. Well, what happened after the first year? You know, mm -hmm. what it's like for me, that's a joke. That should just be lifetime. That should be a law where if your data right. is compromised, the company has to pay lifetime. And maybe that will now make some of these companies think like, man, we got to pay, you know, LifeLock or one of these other companies forever. Especially with the data that we're talking about. I mean, your social security number, your driver's license number don't typically change. So what, yeah, what, what are you going to do for you? <laughs> yeah. Just came up with a business idea. Whoever one of y'all want to do it is create a credit reporting monitoring service. If somebody's breached, they pay into a fund. And then that gives them lifetime uh, credit monitoring. Boom. <laughs> I'm going to call it the Randy Bryan fund. <laughs> okay. That'll be a great. But Native idea. <laughs> <laughs> so one of one of so here's something that crosses my mind. I was just actually two companies came to mind when I when I thought of this, and that is the idea that maybe you think you pay attention to your cybersecurity because you've delegated that to somebody else in the company, right? And like I, I am a proponent that we are at a point where not only does the CEO and probably depending on the size of the company and the makeup, the whole C level need to be involved and understand where the risks are, how they can be attacked, all these types of things, what the cybersecurity plan is, how they're fighting back. But also, you know, if you have a board, like they need to be involved too. And why do I say this? Right. Because the mistake that I'm seeing businesses make across the board are we delegate it to one person or, or a two man team or a three man team. Shit. I just read the other day that uh, Patreon fired their whole entire security staff of five people. Right. Um, and I happen to um, be debating this with somebody who basically said, and I said, he, he's like, I'm canceling my Patreon account because they got rid of their security team. I was like, well, maybe they outsourced it to a company like mine. He's like, that's even worse. And I'm like, that's even worse. I'm like, we're some of the best equipped companies out there to deal with this problem. And he argued with me from the stance. I don't know who his MSSP is, who his MSP is, but his purview of companies like ours is very, very distorted. Um he doesn't think very highly of, of MSPs for whatever reason. Maybe he lost a job to one once or something like that. I don't know. But um, the reality of it is, is that we have tools 
that other companies, other industry, other IT departments, individual IT users will never have access to. And we we have we have weapons where we can fight back or we can detect things that other even Fortune 500 companies won't have access to unless they work through what we call the channel or companies like ours who have access to these tools. And, and that's just the reality. But but where I see a lot of companies missing the mark on how they're doing this and delegating it to a few people or one person, where happen, what happens if that person leaves, removes himself from your company, dies, whatever? You have no idea what your cybersecurity makeup is at this point when that person walks out the door. And, and that's the risk a lot of companies are, are, are running. They're playing with fire because the CEO wants to take no ownership, no responsibility of what is happening with their cybersecurity in their company. They say they have it handled, but they hand, they, their way of handling it was, okay, you go, you're smart, you go take care of it. Um, I don't know if you guys are seeing that, but that's kind of you know, what I'm seeing out there and the concerns that I see when I talk to CEOs and they, these are, these are decisions that they're making um, where, you know, I'm not going to be involved because I got this all really awesome IT guy over here. Who's, you know, got me taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, and time and time again, those companies are breached. So, so we got this uh, Lorenz ransomware uh, breaches corporate networks via phone systems, which, Sounds a lot like this attack in, in on this Texas hospital. Um, if I if I understand this Lorenz ransomware attack, it's a Mitel phone system issue. Randy, do you have any intel on, on what's going on here? Um, yeah, I mean, so basically, these guys have been around for a while doing regular run of the mill ransomware. Um, right. Bottom line. Um, you know, we mentioned on a regular basis about needing to protect your Internet of Things, your things other than your computers. And basically right. what they're doing is they're getting into networks. They're taking advantage of Mitel phones. Um, and basically once they're in there, they actually open up a little terminal. Um, they use that terminal to run a couple commands and kind of bootstrap themselves back into your network uh, where they start poking around, finding footholds and Next thing you know, you've got data leaving your uh, network. It's all yeah. happening from, from the phones. Yeah. So it's a Mitel service appliance, which is basically a box that's stuck into your server room somewhere. And, all, and then all your phones are plugged into, in, into that so you can make phone calls. And that device is it, it's so funny. But that device is on the Internet, right? Even if you don't have firewall ports open that thing is facing the internet. And in the last, we have a particular client who does not use Mitel. It might be Mitel actually. I don't know because we don't do their phones. Um, but we run regular vulnerability scans on this company's internal and external network. And three times in the last quarter, we found vulnerabilities on their voice over IP providers box which then we reach out to them and say hey we found this vulnerability um and you know in in all three cases they were able to change a configuration or update the system and get rid of the vulnerability um and that's exactly what's happening here so these guys were able to basically as randy said do what's called a reverse shell which gives them like a little terminal but it gives them god mode over the system and then they basically created their own backdoor, their own VPN into th this company's network. Um, you know, and we can talk about how you can avoid these things and why certain things that we talk about all this all the time on the show are important. Um, but that's really the bottom line of like you have a phone system. It's part of your network, depending on how you set that up and segregate things you could be in a similar position as this company because clearly they did not segregate their voice over IP traffic from their, from the rest of their corporate network. And as a result, they ended up getting ransomware. And many times phones are the ones that are overlooked. 
You know, yep. I, I've been in scenarios where it's still the default password that you can Google for, you know, uh, polycoms and just um, and like you said, not to go technical, but the VLANs and things like that to segment the network is so important. But so, so I mean, to Brian's point, so, you know, he had to keep pointing out to this company that that there were vulnerabilities. So they're clearly not uh, following up with these and, and keeping up with with so, hardware patches so, you know, until you tell them. So here's the funny thing. And I think it's important for me to say this. And and I don't, you know, please don't take this the wrong way when I say this. But this company that we reached out to is a competitor in our area. They, they say they do the same things as us. Okay. Mm. Right. But we were the ones that detected the vulnerability every single time. We were the ones who basically told them, you're not updating these devices and we're detecting known vulnerabilities on them you need to do something about this um which they did but the other thing is i'm so this company is um fairly large in terms of their voice over ip customer footprint their customer base they sell a lot of voice over ip more than you know more than they would sell traditional it services and we basically tipped them off that every single one of their devices has these vulnerabilities. So now they're going around and they're patching every single device at every customer based on the information that we're giving them. Right. So my whole point there is, is not all it companies are created equal, right? We're, we're, you know, we're telling other it companies like, Hey, you have a problem here. Right. And we're just doing it with our, mutual client that we both share but in reality we're helping that company out big time because you know if they have a thousand of these devices out there there's a thousand companies that could potentially be attacked you know because they have the vulnerabilities that we found and there's probably more out there that would take that information and just patch the the client that you're talking about and then not even do it for their other clients that are using the same equipment i mean but think about it it's we're, this is a technician who we were dealing with, who we just, you know, we're going back and forth and making sure it got done. We weren't talking to the CEO or anything like that. So you now he could go to the owner of the company and be like, Hey, we got to patch all of our devices. And the guy's mm -hmm. like, I ain't paying for that. Or I'm not mm -hmm. doing that, you know, cause the man hours that, that would take. Right. hundred mm -hmm. percent. And, and like, this is the stuff that's going on out there in the world. <clears throat> um, and, you know, I look at guys like us and we're fighting the good fight. We're trying to make sure that everybody's doing the right thing all around. But it's, you know, it's 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 a tough, tough, tough mountain to climb. I can tell you that. So I don't know if you guys want to chime in on whether or not this Texas thing sounds a lot like what we're reading here around this. But there's this uh, this Texas bake based Oak Bend Medical Center. Where is that, Randy? Um, I think it's down around Houston. I'm not sure, but I think it's down around Houston. Let's see, it is yeah, Richmond, Texas. Yeah, located that's in the greater there. Houston area. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. two eight one is a Houston area code. And it says uh, it's in the process of rebuilding its communication systems in the aftermath of a ransomware attack that occurred September first. It informed patients via notice on its website. Um, I, I guess what I don't understand is it sounds like the way that this is written and maybe the person who wrote it just didn't know what they were writing about, but it just sounds to me like they're saying that their phone system got ransomware attack, but I don't think that's the case. It's, it's probably their computer well, system. Has a, so an interesting thinking? thing though, if you click through and go to their website, it actually yeah. has a full directory of phone numbers. Like, like temporary numbers? I don't know if they're temporary, but I've, I've never seen, I mean, you know, sometimes there's like a help desk number you can call or a couple people you can call, but I've never seen like a full directory on one of these notifications. So, I mean, if, I'm, if we're voting on this, I'm voting that this was a, an attack on their phone systems, which would make a lot of sense just so happened that we've just heard of this and you know and we've also mm -hmm. heard of Lorenz uh Mitel vulnerability so I don't know I think they took everything one. down yeah I think I think they took everything down they just took all the phone systems down and the computers down because if the phone system was the way they got in that's why they took that offline right 
but they had ransomware on the computers because it's saying that they have secured all patient-centric systems, but then they engage experts from Microsoft, Dell, Malware Protects to clear out its systems in preparation for rebuilding. So Shazam, like they're rebuilding from scratch. Yeah. Best of luck. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you go, guys. I mean, there's another example of a company that gets hit with ransomware who's probably going to be in it for the next couple months, you know, getting their systems back online. Like we saw with, you know, like Kronos and took them months to get back online. Um, it says as of September 9th, which is like, Nine, 10 days later from the original attack, Oak Bend was still experiencing telephone and email issues during the rebuild. The hospital established a dedicated phone line and provided a list of phone numbers for those who require immediate assistance. And they converted their fax lines to hotlines, says Andre. So, oh, well, that was more of a joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that, could, that could be the plan, right? Hey, we have these hotlines. Let's just convert them to real lines that people can well, They call. probably ordered hotlines if they didn't have them because I'm sure they were like, yeah, we can't plug that back in. Um, I would be willing to bet if you were like, hey, you, you know, the odds are this and you can bet whether this was a Mitel system, um, I'm bet I'm taking that yeah. bet. That, yeah. you know, I definitely think Mitel was involved here. And that just shows you how quickly, um, you know, ransomware attackers and cyber criminals take advantage of vulnerabilities that get disclosed out there. Um, yeah. And also, too, just it's important to talk to your phone vendor or your IT person to talk to your phone vendor because some of these, like phones is one of those things that if it works, it can sit there forever. Mm -hmm. But they also have an end of life where they stop receiving updates. That's right. So definitely look into that as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people think certain devices are like kind of like set it and forget it and we, Mm -hmm. you know, we can run it for 10 years and it's really just not the case with anything like well it's a point of reference thing again so like in the case of phones i mean you know you're talking about people who grew up with you know your basic you know plain old phone that just it was was a line going into a speaker and some some buttons on it yeah that's not what we're we're talking about these days these things have complex electronics in them that has vulnerabilities and can be hacked and needs to be updated yep so let's jump into some uh some talks here about some aftermath since we're kind of we're talking about hinting to what the aftermath could be for that hospital. We get this uh, medical billing company that faces a lawsuit after a ransomware attack. Um, and what we're seeing here is um, basically months after a ransomware attack, this practice resources LLC is facing some legal battles with a new class action lawsuit being filed against them and that's one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot is like, you know, if this impacts enough people, you're going to be dealing with a class action lawsuit down the road. Are you re- are you are you prepared for that? Or, you know, do you have the proper insurance coverages in place? You know, depending on how big the class action lawsuit ends up being, which ultimately is, the you know, ultimately depends on the number of records you have and the number of people that were affected by by the breach. You know, do you have enough coverage to cover the cost of a class action lawsuit? I mean, or are you going to be paying out of pocket or at some point or just, you know, claiming bankruptcy to beg forgiveness from the courts because you can't pay it? Um, this is what we see a lot of companies faced with. So goes on to say the company which stores medical record data of nearly a million central New Yorkers suffered a data breach in April. And the breach came after a ransomware attack or an attack conducted by hackers who want to get access to personal information like birth dates, full names, home addresses, and more. So, um, you know, what do you guys, I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about here, quite frankly, other than there's, a, there's, you know, a lot of patients that were affected by this. And we talk about all the time, like all the correlation or all the data that can be mined here to do other things. Um, and I think that's what this article mainly points out is like, why would somebody want this information? And, you know, why is it important that companies like Practice Resources protect this data? Um, probably thought that they would never be the victim of any kind of attack at any point. And, you know, in some cases, people would be like, eh, 
we don't have that much, you know, much data that's that important that anybody would want. Um, here is a perfect example of this is data that cyber criminals have taken. They're going to use it for things in the future. And now this company is going to pay the price for it. So anything you guys want to add to this? Randy, what do you mean? Ryan, which article is this? This is the uh, right here, number five <laughs> in the list. So, uh, oh, yep, I didn't have that one. So, the, uh, I mean, I covered most of it. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody has any particular opinions on it. Um, you know, it's one million patient records. That's mm -hmm. really what it boils down to. Yeah, I, I would just add, just think about it if it's your business and, and, you know, you went through this whole process of getting attack and now you're having your clients sue you or, or third party people sue you. Can your business handle that? You know, what's going to happen? So I'm not sure how, how large this company is. I was trying to do a quick search, but this could be the fall of this company easily. And that, that's on top of the cost of, of, of even mm -hmm. getting past the attack in the first place, right? So mm -hmm. that's the stuff that we can't predict. We, we can go in and give somebody a pretty good idea of here's what your, your costs are going to look like if you, if you have a, a cyber attack um, for, you know, getting back up and running, you know, legal costs, uh, and, you know, insurance, things like that. But we, we can't predict if, you know, how many people are going to sue them and what, you know, what the fallout of that could be. So when we give them a prediction, it's usually a high number. And that's, that's the bare minimum. That doesn't include you know, the, the consequences of getting sued. And your employees are not going to want to stay for that, right? You know, they're going to find another company because it's like, I'm not, I'm not staying for this one. Well, you're going to have to hire somebody to come in and, and basically gather the information that's being requested as part of the discovery process. Because once the class action lawsuit is filed and assuming that the judge is going to let it proceed to trial, the first thing the lawyers are going to do is ask for all the evidence from this practice resources to prove that they've had a cybersecurity program in place and they were doing everything that they could do to protect this data, you know, and you're going to have to prove all of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing to say, you know, my guys got me covered. It's a completely different thing when you can say, Here's our cybersecurity program. Here's the framework we follow. Here's how often we meet on it. Here's when we did our last tabletop. Here was the result of that tabletop and the lessons learned. That's all going to be documented somewhere. And that's all stuff that you can easily turn over to lawyers in this process. More than likely, lawyers are going to have to sift through millions and millions of emails to try to figure out if there's anything here. And there's probably not going to be a whole lot. So. Yeah. Moving right along, we will uh, we'll just go right into uh, we're going to talk about the ransomware problem in this article from I'm pretty sure he's a big fan of the show, but it's Danny Palmer over at ZDNet. And, um, you know, he talks about something that I've been kind of harping on for. I mean, I feel like the last couple months. I don't know when I when I first said it, but obviously being somebody who covers these attacks all the time. And going from a place, you know, year, two years, year and a half ago to where like it was like hot off the press type news, you were like almost reporting ransomware attacks in real time to, you know, what you're seeing today, which is we're reporting ransomware attacks months and weeks after mm -hmm. they actually happen. Um, you know, it's a little less fun, but, you know, it's still it's still happening. It's it's not changed. Um and I think it was the last show or the show before where I raised the concern that I had around companies keeping this stuff so so close to the vest. Um, and that's what's kind of brought up in this article saying, like, if we continue down this path of not sharing information and not letting people know that certain things are happening and how they're happening and what we're seeing is, is indicators of compromise or you know, what happens, you know, in the ransomware attack itself. Um, it could be, it, you know, getting that information out maybe a month sooner could prevent 20 other companies from having a problem. And that's kind of what this article points out. Just like to talk about that a little bit before we, we jump into um, the next two, the next two topics. Do you guys feel the same way I do or do you see it differently? No, hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, 
you know, the, the, one of the struggles that we face is people just don't think this is happening because nobody's talking about it. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, the smaller, the, in the smaller business circles, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody this morning about this very thing. You know, I, I, we were talking about it. Nobody knew anybody uh, in their circle of friends uh, that were other business owners that, that had ever had this happen to them. And I, I said, I bet you they have. They just don't talk about it. People are embarrassed by this. It's, it's, it's stigmatized. Um, but it, we know that it happens all the time. I mean, we just talk to an insurance agent and, and what they've seen over the last two years about insurance. I mean, if these rates are, are skyrocketing and these these requirements are happening, it's, it's not because they're just, you know, the wind's blowing. It's because they're paying out claims. I mean, these things are happening every single day. But if nobody talks about it, it it's, it's easy enough to uh, distance yourself from it and, and think that it's not going to happen to you. Yeah, I was actually just speaking with an incident response company in Miami. And he told me that in the Miami market, obviously Miami market is big, but he's telling me that they're getting three a week and they're mm -hmm. busy they're, yep. because it takes a long time to go through this process. So um, it's it's definitely happening. Just nobody's talking about it. Yeah, I think in, in any culture around the world, there's always things that are kind of taboo to talk about. And you just, we've just got to normalize certain things mm -hmm. and make it okay to talk about Right now, it's not normalized because if one of us had a breach, we're not going to be all excited and happy about going to talk talk about it. I mean, our our very nature is going to be to keep it to ourselves and not you know and not spread it around. So we we've just got to change that. Um, I mean, maybe it's going to take the law, but also mm -hmm. I guess we as leaders can help change that from a cultural cultural standpoint. Well, this wasn't screwed up like this until the lawyers got involved it was like i said it was a lot more fun until the lawyers got involved <laughs> and what i mean by that is cyber insurance breach attorney gets assigned breach coach he takes over and he tells everybody shut up like this is how we're going to control the information this is going to be our pr strategy and we end up in a situation where you know danny rightfully points out and says beyond uh, this, there's another problem. Many ransomware incidents are simply kept under wraps, so it's hard to get a pic good picture of what's really happening in the world. Even when companies do admit to a cyber attack, they're often, they're often very vague about what has happened and seem most reluctant, reluctant to describe any incident as a ransomware attack, which is 100% hits the nail yep. on the head. I mean, we just covered these articles today where it was like, you know, I had to question whether the writer knew what she was writing about because it seemed like their phone system got ransomware. Um, you know, more than likely what the case is, is she's working off of very little information. Uh, and that, that's what allows other, other business owners though, to look at those scenarios and, and just think that it was some, you know, magical Hollywood type hack where, you know, some, some guy in a hoodie just sat in front of a keyboard for 30 seconds and, and got in because they targeted that company. When in reality, you know, in most cases, once, once the details do come out, if they ever do, you know, it's, it's somebody made a mistake. There was some poor hygiene someplace. There was a, uh, a VPN that they hadn't used in five years that had a, you know, low security password on it. You know, that just the stuff that's happening every day to, you know, in, in businesses just waiting to be, uh, um, capitalized on, but, but they don't see that. They just see and, and build up in their minds, this, you know, fancy thing that, that they can't put themselves in the seat of. And I think that they also minim minimize it significantly as to like, I, I just think that sometimes you read these things and they're like, Oh, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Well, because it's usually a large company that they're reporting on the small companies right. aren't, aren't sexy news stories. The companies right. that are reported on have huge cash cash balances that they can use and, and, and recover from this when a small business across the street probably doesn't. I mean, but you just look at that Texas hospital. That's not a small company. And they're going to be, they, they, you know, you could look at that article and go, oh, well, they just posted a, a, a thing on their website. And, you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, they don't, nobody understands the breadth and depth of what's actually going on behind the scenes, you know, during at that hospital at this ransomware attack. It's just so high level. It's just like, up oh, here's a ransomware attack, and that's like really all you get. And here's some here's some numbers you can call um, if you need to get a hold of somebody. You know, and it's like, wow, okay, well, there's, there's a lot more than that that should be talked about and disclosed. So, so we'll move right right along because we have two more topics we want to hit, and I think the last one I'd like to spend a little bit more time than than this this one. But we did mention a couple times on the show so far the 49ers ransomware attack. And now we have another lawsuit being filed by an Atlanta Falcon employee 
because the 49ers had this person's information in their system and it was breached. Um, so, you know, we found it interesting because it was another football team. Like this person, we, at first we thought maybe they went to work for the Falcons after working for the 49ers, but no, it was just because the 49ers and Falcons did business together. This person's information happened to be, you know, kept or stored by, by the 49ers for whatever reason. <clears throat> so you can just look at that as like a vendor relationship, right? You know, and talk about this. Like, yeah, you might not have juicy clients, right? You might not have people that that you work with or make money off of that, you know, have where you have a lot of their information, but maybe you work with a vendor and you have significant information about them or they have significant information about you. Um, you have to think about all your business relationships, you know, customers, vendors, partners, whatever, whatever you do in your business. Um, and just look around and see like where your weak points could potentially be. Um, and that's one of the things we're talking about a lot with our clients is like, you need to evaluate your third party. Like, you have to evaluate that. And that's, this is a very foreign concept to most businesses. I don't think there's very many companies, unless you're huge, where you're looking at your partners and vendors and asking them what they're doing to protect the data that they that you, you guys share. Randy's shaking his head. I feel like I'm getting No, to you are. I'm just I'm seeing a little trend here today. I mean, you know, it keeps coming up over and over again. How are you handling um, you know, are data. You, where's data? Yeah. When I when I went to get my root canal uh, on the sheet of paper that they still have nothing digital. And they wanted my social. And I just put the first, what, I put the first like four or five numbers and that was it. And I was like, well, there's no reason you need my social. You, you have my insurance card. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yep, 49ers are now being sued by Atlanta Falcon employee directly. But I imagine that'll probably turn into some kind of class action lawsuit eventually um, once the rest of the people get notified. Yeah, who, there was who, almost 21,000 people affected by that. Yeah. So, um, um, go ahead. I was going to say there's, uh, I believe it's, we're up to around five states right now, but there's a, there's, there's a growing trend on states um, putting out laws about how you deal with data um, mm -hmm. and, and determining if you're just a regular person, like, you know, you take, you take Andre's information for the dental exam and then that just passes through you and you're, and you're not holding on to it. Or if you're taking that data and aggregating it or storing it in some place and doing something with it to manipulate it. Um, those laws, I've been discussing this with my lawyer the last couple of months. Those laws are, I think they've already been passed in California, which means it'll probably end up around the rest of the country, you know, before we know it. But um, every company's really got to start thinking about how they're dealing with customers' data and what they do with it, how they keep it, all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, yeah, go I, ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I wasn't going to say much, but I, I, you know, I, I obviously saw you wanted to talk there. But at the end of the day, you're 100 percent right. I mean, we we have clients over in Europe, and what they have to deal with versus what the United States has to deal with in terms of what they need to protect and, and, and the laws that are already on the books over there is, is unbelievable. But here's the problem that I have. God, I hate saying these things, but <laughs> I mean, I just have to be honest with people. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, I, I'm dealing with a company that's based out of the United States. Nobody in the United States is making them do this stuff. And it's like when I'm telling them they have to do this because this is the law in Europe and they operate in Europe. They like are it's like they look at me like I'm an alien. And I'm like, what don't you understand? Like, you have to do this stuff. Like, yes, it's going to cost money. Yes, you're going to have to pay more money, you know, invest in things, have policies in place, have procedures in place. God, if you know. God forbid if people actually have policies and procedures and give them their employees so employees know how to actually handle certain situations or this is how we want, you know, things handled or, you know, just um, segregating data from employees. You know, employees don't, don't need to have access to something because they don't work on a particular client or a particular project. Taking access away from them so they don't have access to that. That's stuff that you have to do per these European laws. And 
these sometimes these CEOs look at me and be like, yeah, we really don't have to do that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm really curious, like how much money, uh, you know, these, these made these big corporations are spending on lobbying to get these laws that get proposed either stripped of all their meat or, you know, just submarined entirely versus what they would pay if they just started doing some of these things and, and, and protecting themselves. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's unbelievable how, how, you know, we know, cause you know, we, we, we talked to Chris Krebs and he, he kind of laid it out, you know, he's like the people on the cybersecurity side need to lobby just mm-hmm. as hard as the people who are lobbying. So they don't have to spend this money. Yep. Um, and that's why we don't have the laws that Europe has because there's people receiving donations and, and political contributions to not move this stuff forward. And that's, that's the reality of the world that we live in. The other piece of it is, is a lot of legislators don't understand this stuff. Um, so they're apprehensive to move forward in that respect too. Just like CEOs, in my mm-hmm. opinion, CEOs are apprehensive to move forward like they should because they don't get it. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of times they don't want to believe it. Um, you know, so, all right, boys, let's uh, wrap up five minutes. We can go kind of like around the horn rapid fire here and let's educate people on what you should do if you click on a phishing link because god i believe that most people just like close their eyes and close everything that just popped up and like mm-hmm. hope for the best right i think that's what most people yep. do when they get a phishing link or, or just uh, stop and wait and see like is something bad gonna happen like because again it goes back to the stigma though like they, they don't want to report it they don't want to get in trouble they just hope that maybe it wasn't anything at all and, and i didn't do anything good i'm good I'm, yeah let me just let me just reboot my computer all right so um, just so you know, we're laughing because when you click on phishing links to you, the end user, it looks like nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but behind the scenes, there's a little hamster running in the back. Mm-hmm. He's hacking your system. So let's, uh, let's all go around the horn. What's one thing you guys recommend people do if they click on a phishing link? Report it to your IT. <laughs> yep. Like that's the simplest one. You have to let somebody know. All right, let's, let's can look. Let's just break it down. Like, what if what if they don't have IT? I mean, yes, if you have IT, you have a security officer defined in your company. I mean, the reality of it is, if you're actually following a framework, you're going to have a security officer in your company. You're going to know who they are because you're trained on it, mm-hmm. and you're going to know the process for contacting them when you do something like this, right? I mean, that's really where we need companies to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't know what we're talking about, reach out to one of our companies and we can help you get that in place. Um, but reality is, yes, you want to you want to tell somebody like whether you just have a one person IT department, you want to tell somebody, let them know it happened so that they can start doing an investigation. Reaction time is everything. So even, yeah, if, even if you're not sure, you know, yeah. you need to do it. You just need to right away. Right? Like the longer um, you wait. I remember, dude, I remember like somebody came to us one time and they were like, Oh, we, I clicked on this. And I, and I'm like, when did this happen? They were like, three days ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. oh, my God. So Andre, what, what's, what's one uh, tip for that you want to give out three minutes. We got three minutes. Scan the computer. Hopefully you have an antivirus and you can just go to the little taskbar and hit the scan button and just see if it catches anything. Um, also, I think it's important to know how do you even know that you clicked on the phishing email? And that would be more of when you click on it, if it, looks like a Microsoft login, but it kind of looks a little funky or if on the top, you see that the web address doesn't say Microsoft or whatever the portal is supposed to be, that, that's how you would know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would say, so obviously if you're watching this now, you probably either haven't clicked or it's been a while. You're probably not searching this like, oh my gosh, I clicked, what do I do? And you bring up the podcast and watch it. So with that perspective in mind, you really, 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 really need to have process control and elevation monitoring on your computer. And what I mean by that is a process, if it's unknown, it needs to not run on your computer. And there's easy ways to do that. The other thing is if there is a process that's known and it tries to elevate and become an administrator on the computer, it should, it should block that and get approval before it happens. If you have those in place, that's that's huge towards stopping the 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 whole malware or ransomware that could come from clicking. Um, although 
you could have it in place and maybe all it does is open a link and then you go there and you're on somebody's Google Drive entering in your 365 uh, credentials. So, you know, definitely need to do what Andre just said about looking at the URL, making sure um, that it's legit. Yeah, and I'll just throw in there, number one, make sure that if you do click on a, a phishing link and you end up going somewhere where you enter your credentials, you probably just gave away your username or password to somebody. So make sure, you know, use a password manager, number one, um, that helps you easily, you know, do things like this. But you're going to have to go around and change your passwords, like, pretty immediately. Um, and, you know, just because you got a two-factor, you know, challenge after you logged in, these hackers are, are getting really good at building pages that have the two-factor after you type in your password. So it really looks legitimate. And then they steal your two-factor uh, code. And then they pretty much have full access to your systems and can do a lot. Um, and then on the flip side, if you click on something or open something that's more of an attachment or a malicious file and, you know, you didn't go to like a web page where it was asking you for credentials, more than likely you probably got hit with some kind of malware, mm -hmm. um, some kind of payload. Um, Best thing I can tell you to do there is unplug the internet from the back of your computer um, and call a professional um, because you probably have some kind of malware that's going to eventually lead to ransomware. Um, and, you know, these phishing emails are the number one way that these hackers attack companies, individuals. You know, they're not breaking, they're not doing crazy vulnerability hacks and getting in through the firewalls and going in through the network. That's, that's the rarity. Most of the time you're getting tricked to click on a link in an email or a text message that was sent to you. And this is how they're getting you today. So that's it for us. Remember, share our show, get it out to your friends and family, help them get this information, help us grow the show. And we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. See ya. Yeah. All right. I got to go, guys.